Do you like going away? I always sort of, it's got nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about, but anyway. I always go on holiday with a certain amount of, if apprehension is the right word. But it always seems to me the last holidays, I've, God has always used that time to challenge me and to sort some stuff out within me. I guess that's because I'm away from here, away from the busyness. And so I always go away with a certain degree of excitement that I'm going on holiday, but apprehension about what God's going to do. Because it ends up being a bit of an emotional roller coaster. One of the things that God spoke to me about when I was away this time was about thinking about His house. Because often we come in here, I come in here and I say, Lord, please come down and, and fill your house. And the Lord said to me, David, this is my house. You're coming into my house. I'm not going into yours. I'm already here. This is my place. This is where I reside. It would be like me coming over to your place and saying, you know, uh, would you like to come into your own house? It's like going, hang on a minute. And so, when I came this morning, I said, Lord, can I come in? And I've never thought about it that way before, but isn't that true? We're not inviting God into our place. As though, Lord, we're here, this is our house, and would you like to come in and be with us? He's going, I'm here, I'm here whether you're here or not. I'm here just as much when somebody else comes in in the week. This is my place, not you. So maybe when we come next Sunday, we should stay at the door, Lord, can I come in? As a recognition that this is your house, Lord, not ours. And what goes on here is your business, not our business. And that you are the master of the house, not us. This is your place. Amazing what you can learn on a beach. Let's pray together. Lord, as we look into your word today, we recognize that we are in your place, in your house. We're sitting at your feet, wanting to learn from you. So speak to us, Lord. We've come here to learn from you. We've come here to receive from you. We've come here to be filled by you. So we ask that you would just do that because we're hungry and we're thirsty and we're desperate for more of you. There's nothing we can offer you, Lord. But we thank you that you are generous and that you long to fill your children. So as we open your word, as we continue our reflections upon it, fill us, touch us, do whatever you want to do in each one of us now. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We've been looking together over the last little while at the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. If you've got your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5. And which character we need to have to be followers of Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about in Matthew chapter 5. The first characteristic he said we need to have is to be poor in spirit. In other words, we need to recognize, as we've just prayed, that we have nothing that we can bring 
that there is a poverty within us because of sin, because of our separation from God, that, that we are poor. We have nothing. We have limited choice. We have n- Even though we like to think we can do all these kind of things, in the light of who Christ is, we have nothing. We are poor in spirit. And we need to recognize that, but not just recognize it, but to have the second characteristic, which is to go even deeper still, and to mourn that poverty. It's like a death within us, and saying, Lord, I'm, I'm dying here. I want, to, I want to be alive, I want to have more of you, but there, it's, I'm just dying inside, and I don't know where to get it from. I don't think I'm going to cry, and I'm going to weep, and I, Lord, I'm just broken before you. I'm mourning, mourning who I am before you. And then we need to recognize our meekness. Meekness is power under God's control. That he has the power and the authority because of the cross, because of who he is, because of what he has done, to transform the situation that we find ourselves in. We have nothing. He has everything. And the meekness is to recognize that his power is available to us. But it comes under his control, under his will. It's not just that he gives us his power and then we can go off and do whatever we like. He said it's for those who are obedient, those who will want to follow me. And Jesus said, didn't he, to all his disciples, leave what you're doing, come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Matthew, leave those tax collectors. Come, follow me. If you want to be a follower of me, you have to go to the cross and deny yourself. Nail it there. Take up your cross every day and follow. And so there are restrictions, if you like, that we have to be obedient if we're going to receive from God. We can't just go around doing whatever we want to do. And expect God to continually fill us and bless us. It doesn't work that way. We need to be meek. And then also that we need to hunger and thirst for righteousness, for the right things, for a right relationship with Him. And we talked about what it means to hunger and to thirst. I said about when I, when I was uh, nearly drowned one time, and you're just gasping for oxygen. When you're really, really hungry and you just anything will do. We have to have that same passion inside of us for a right relationship with God. Then, he says, you will be filled. And only then. And so that transformational journey needs to take place inside each one of us. And then the fruits of that journey, once that has happened, he says, are these things. We will be merciful to others. Why? Because we recognize the mercy that Christ has poured out on us. We're going to be pure in heart and we will follow Christ and be of a pure heart, open to the ways of God. And then our reading for today in verse 9, he says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. You know, we look around at our world and it's sadly short of peacemakers, isn't it? The only answer that the Western nations have to the Islamic State or whatever it's called, IS in, in, uh, in Syria, in, in Iraq, is just to go and bomb them. 
let's just blow up their tanks and hopefully that we can blow them up and then and it's like well how is that ever going to give you peace the only answer to Iraq and Saddam was to go and destroy it and then they realized that actually the building up afterwards is incredibly complicated it's so easy to go in when you've got the power and destroy it's so much more painstaking to build back up and far more complicated and our history has shown us over the years that we hardly have any time where there's been peace in our world we need to be peacemakers and Jesus says if you're a follower of me one of those characteristics will be that you are peacemakers in your communities peacemakers in your families peacemakers in your church that that is what will characterize you against other people you know there's three kinds of people in our world the first kind are peace breakers if you look in uh, Romans chapter 16 it describes them Romans 16 says this verse 17 to 19 or 16 rather 17 to 19 it says I urge you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teachings you have learned keep away from them for such people are not serving our Lord Christ but their own appetites by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the minds of naive people everyone has heard about your obedience so I'm full of, full of joy over you but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil you know the kind of people I'm talking about or the Bible's talking about people that are smooth talking they flattery they deceive the minds of others why? because they are self-serving they want their own appetites to be met and what they do is they go around and they step on other people in the process however you get to the top you've got to get to the top it doesn't matter about the collateral damage around you those are the peace breakers and we see them sometimes even in the church it's all for the right reasons sometimes but it's just the wrong process they look at their own ministries that they're involved in, the own, own parts of the church and they want to promote those and lift those up and they don't care about what happens to everything else. It's like, the ministry I'm involved in, coffee rotors, is the most important thing in the life of Trinity Church. If you haven't got coffee, the church will grind to a halt. Pardon the pun. Right? And then, then uh, coffee's good. Fellowship is good. But when it's done at the expense of everything else, so the first thing in the budget every year has got to be the coffee, and we've got to do this, and we've got to do this, and everything has to revolve around that one ministry, to the detriment of everything else. That's what happens when we become peace breakers. That we just narrow our focus like a horse with those blinkers on. So they can't see anything else outside. And instead of saying, Lord, we want you to grow the whole ministry of the church. Not just the bit I'm involved in. But I'm equally as happy when other parts of the ministry of the church are growing and being fruitful as well. Then, then we recognize what it is to be a peacemaker, not a peacebreaker. So many churches fall apart because it's full of peacebreakers. That's why all the churches keep splitting, 
My way is the right way. Your way is wrong. You've got to follow my way. Second thing is uh, people who are peace fakers. Ephesians 4 talks about them. Verse 25. It says this. Ephesians 4.25 It says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour, for we are all members of one body. How many times have you heard somebody come up to you and say, Now, don't rock the boat. Don't, don't, uh, don't cause any waves here. Let's, let's just tiptoe along this pathway because we don't want to upset anybody. We don't want anybody to get offended by what we're doing. They're peace fakers. They think that the absence of conflict is peace. It's not, is it? An absence of conflict is merely a truce between people who still don't like each other. There is not really peace in many parts of our world. There's a lot of truces that are going on. There is no peace at the moment between Israel and Gaza. There's a truce. We see it in Northern Ireland too, don't we, between Protestant and, and uh, Catholic. When the marching season comes, the emotions start to boil again and they come out. Now Scotland are facing it, between Scotland and England, following the vote. There are some people that are, are not accepting of it, or they accept the vote, but their heart hasn't changed. They still would like to be separated or pulled apart, and so they have to work through that. There's a truce. But there's not peace. And peace fakers often will go the, the path of least resistance. Let's just go down this path and I'll step on those kind of stepping stones across a river to try and get to the other side without offending anybody. The problem with that is it doesn't deal with the issues. You still have different parties. They're not brought together. And sooner or later... That peace will change from being a peace faker into a peace breaker. And you'll end up with violence and war and division. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. What are peacemakers or what is peace in the Bible? Well, first of all, when we look at peace, we recognise that in the Old Testament, it's far wider than just the absence of war. Peace, the peace of God, the peace that God brings to us, the shalom of God. It talks about our well-being, materially and physically, of an individual and a nation. One of the promises that God gave to the people of Israel that is, if you follow me, I will bring peace. You won't have to worry about your, the nations around. You will be in harmony with them. And that's what peace is. It's about harmonious relationships. And that's taken on in the New Testament as well. You remember in Adam and Eve in the garden, the four relationships that were broken when they chose to go their way instead of God's way. Firstly, with themselves suddenly realised they were naked, they tried to hide and cover themselves. They realised that they weren't as pure and as holy as God had made them to be. They got messed up. They hid from God. They said God was walking along and said, where are you? 
we're afraid, we hid from you. And that relationship with God was damaged. The relationship with one another was damaged. Well, how did this happen, God said. And what did the guy say? It was her fault. She made me do it. She shouldn't have done it, she shouldn't have taken the apple, it wasn't me, nothing to do with me, I'm innocent in this whole proceeding. It was her fault. And men and women have been doing that to each other ever since. And lastly, with creation. By the sweat of your brow will now you work with the land. You'll be fighting against it instead of working with it. Because the relationship between those two has broken down as well. And peace, godly peace, is bringing all those relationships back into harmony. That's what God is saying. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, blessed are the peacemakers. He's saying, blessed, I'm going to pour my blessing into those people who go around bringing reconciliation in people's lives. Between them and themselves, them and me, them and one another, and them and creation. That's what it means to be a peacemaker. The question is, well, how do we go about doing that? How do we become peacemakers? Well, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 13. Because there's a wonderful example from Abraham about becoming and what it means to be a peacemaker. Abraham's received, Abraham's received the call in, in chapter 12 of Genesis from God. And the Lord said to him, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household and go to a land that I'm going to show you. And then he gives all these promises, I'm going to make you into a great nation, I'm going to bless you, your name's going to be great, you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so Abraham left, and the Lord told, as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him, his nephew. And they're on their journey to the land that God is going to show him, where he needs to go, the promised land. And when they're on that journey, we come to chapter 13, a problem arises. We'll begin at verse 5. Now Lot, it says, who was moving about with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarrelling arose between Abraham's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarrelling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers." The first thing we see here is that in order to be a peacemaker, you need to discover the origin or the foundation or what the conflict is really all about. So often we have kind of playing fields that we play out our real conflicts on. Let me give you an example. When I was first married, 28 years ago, that's why I went away on my wedding anniversary last week. 28 years ago, when I got, first got married, I, I remember still our first big fight. It was over magazines. I was really into Formula One. I had I'd subscribed to the Formula One magazine, and I had the whole series from the previous season, and I was collecting and putting them into binders and 
perfect it was. Essential, essential magazine viewing, Formula One magazine. My wife Inika was into Good Housekeeping magazine. Not really a guy's thing. And eventually what happened was that we ran out of space in our apartment to have both the full set of Formula One magazine, which would probably be worth an absolute fortune today if I was to sell it on eBay, and her Good Housekeeping magazines. And she said to me, we need to do something about this. We've got no more space to put our magazines. And I said, well, there's a simple solution here. Why are the women laughing at that? (laughs) I said, there's a simple solution here. Like, you know, go through your magazines, because mine are all bound nicely, because I paid for the binding and everything to put it in. Go through yours and, and, you know, I said, choose the articles that you would find useful for the future, because most of it's... I said, and then you can put those articles and we'll put them in a nice book and then they'll be kept for you. I still don't understand to this day why she didn't think that was a good idea. But she didn't. She said, no, you get rid of, like, these races are done. That's history. Get rid of it. Don't side with, she said, yeah. And then this massive argument ensued, and it got so large that I slammed the door, I walked out, I took the keys of my motorbike, and I drove off. She thought I was never going to come back again, because I was gone for hours while I cooled down. Now, the argument really wasn't about magazines. What it was, was about power. It was about me saying, these are mine and they're precious to me, I want to keep them. And Inika saying, uh-uh, these are mine and they're more precious to me, I want to keep them. And this power struggle ensued between the two of us. That's what it was all about. If it had a larger house, it wouldn't have happened. It just stuffed them in the room. But it was a power thing between the two of us. Who's going to have the rights? Who's going to relinquish. Who's going to back down and who's going to win this argument? I'm not telling you the result. (laughs) But that's what it was about. And the same thing we see happening here, you have to understand the real reasons for the conflict. What's really going on between Abraham and Lot? It's the same thing, isn't it? You've got a finite amount of land. You've got the Canaanites and the Perizzites already there. So here they come and increase the population. And then arguments are breaking out. Why? Because that's a nice piece of grass over there for our herds. What do you mean you're on it? You could get off it. We want that for us. And they go, no, no, you have that bit over there. No, we're having this bit over here, because this bit over here is nicer than this bit over here. And this big argument ensued. And a power struggle started that could have ripped the two of them and their families apart. When it gets too bad, you end up with war. And it could have ended up in the divorce of Abraham and Lot, 
and their families and being torn to pieces. You have to find the underlying reason for the conflict first before you know how to deal and bring peace. So many people who come to see me or when I've been to see someone else even when you share and you've got something on your heart you never just come straight out with it, do you? You never just go, right, this is the problem, bang, and that's the problem. No, you start off with something completely different. And you go on this little journey and and gradually if you're talking to somebody who's sensitive to you, you really get down to the real issue about an hour into the conversation if you're lucky. Maybe two or three hours, depending on how deep that conversation is. It's the same thing. If you're going to be a peacemaker, you need to have those eyes that look I was going to show you that excerpt today. There's a fantastic excerpt from Shrek. Cracking movie. But you remember the bit where, he's, where, where uh, the donkey says to the ogre, he says, you know, like, uh, why don't you just go and beat them all up and be like an ogre? And he says, no, I'm complex, he says. And then they're walking through this field and he says, and he's trying to find an analogy and he said, I'm like an onion. And he says, what, you smell? And he goes, no, I don't smell. He says, like, and he breaks open the onion. It's all the different layers of the onion. He said, I've got lots of layers. And the donkey says, what, you mean like a cake? Cakes have layers and they smell better than onions. And so it goes on. But you have to peel away those layers sometimes to find out really what's going on underneath it all. And if we're going to be peacemakers as Christ wants us to be, we need to give time to people and have those spiritual eyes and we pray to God, help me to see, Lord, really what's going on in someone's life so that I can help them and bring peace and reconciliation. That's the first thing we see that Abraham does. He doesn't just look at the externals, he sees what's going on underneath. Verse 9, he says, Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. The second thing you've got to do, once you understand what the issues really are, is to find a way to resolve it. Now, I think it's absolutely amazing what Abraham does here. Abraham is the one that has been spoken to by God. He is the one whom God says, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make your nation great, I'm going to be the one that's going to do all these things, you're going to be the father of my people. Lot wasn't spoken to by God at all. And Abraham could have said, now listen here Lot, I'm the one that God has spoken to, I am your messenger, I'm God's messenger, you need to just get in line here. Who do you think you are telling me and arguing about now, I'm going to sort it out because I'm the one that hears from God and you just put up with whatever I say. But he doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't call spiritual precedent over Lot. He could have said, now listen here Lot, I'm the uncle, I'm the older one here. You're the nephew. Since when does the nephew tell the uncle what they're going to do? It doesn't work that way in families. Do you ever try that as a child, telling your father or your mother what to do? How successful was that? Zero. Zero success rate. Right? Tried it once, never again. I'm still grounded. You know? 
doesn't work. And Lot, uh, Lot, Abraham could have said to Lot, listen here guy, I'm, I'm, I'm the older one here, I'm the uncle, I have, I have rights here, I have family rights. You just get into your place and stop trying to usurp. I'll give you a bit of land and it'll be the land I tell you and you look after, you, that's yours. Or he could have had and called a power thing precedent over Lot. In verse 2 it says Abraham was very, very wealthy. He had more herds. He had more money. He had more of everything than Lot did. And generally what happens when people have more and some have less is that the more trample on the less. And they say, you get into line here because I've got more people, I've got more possessions, I've got more power. You do as you're told. Otherwise, you better watch out because I can destroy you and take it all. And he could have said that to his nephew, Lot, but he didn't, did he? What he said was, Lot, you decide. You have a look out. If you want to go that way, I'll go that way. If you want to go that way, I'll go that way. He showed the way of love to his nephew. He put down all the, all the kind of, um, the precedents that he could have had, all the, all the things that he held over Lot, all the things, the rights that he could have used. He just put them down. He laid them aside. And he said, Lot, this relationship is more important than any of this. Let's make sure this relationship stays firm. You choose. Lot was not known for making good choices, however, was he? But look what happens. Verse 10. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set, to, set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plains and pitched his tents near Sodom. The last thing that we see is that peacemakers restore that loving relationship. They see what the real issue is. When they've seen the real issue, they find a way to resolve it. And then they restore. They bring that relationship back together. It says they parted company. And you don't know at this point whether they parted company with love or whether they parted company under duress. Was it good terms or bad terms? But as we look down in chapter 14, we see that what happens is, and the very next part of the story is that Lot gets captured by a bunch of kings who come down and take that whole area. And they're carted off and Lot gets taken away with his family and all his herds and everything else. He loses it all. Except one of the herdsmen of Lot manages to escape. And he comes straight to Abraham. And he says, Abraham... Your nephew and all his possessions, all his family, they've been taken away. And what does Abraham do? Well, if they'd parted in bad company, he'd have said, good, perhaps now I can go down and fill out that land which is a lot better than the scrubby little bit of land I got. But he doesn't do that. 
He says, let me choose 318 of the best men I've got. And they follow them for 150, 160 miles to go get them back. And they put his own life on the line to go and get his nephew back. Only a relationship that has been restored would do that. And so we see the last part of the puzzle, how we are peacemakers, we restore relationships to that extent. That there is genuine healing and forgiveness and reconciliation and love. But notice this, peacemaking that Christ calls us to costs. It costs Abraham in time. How long would it take for you to walk 150 miles? Quite a while. Some of you are going, I'm not sure I could even make 150 miles. Can I make 150 miles? You know, we walked uh, on our previous holiday that we had in the summer. We, we did this thing around London. One day we walked from Richmond back to Harrow. That's 17, 18 miles. And people are here going... Whoa, that's a long way to walk. And my body attested to that the next day. But 150 miles that you're following. And this is not having a, you know, a travel lodge break on the way here, is it? This is camping out at night and getting going the next day and going and going and going and going and saying, where have they gone? Have we made any mistakes? Let's just keep following them. Picking up news on the way as to where they are. And then when you get there, you've got to be ready to fight them and defeat the enemy so that you can bring them all back again. That's a three, four hundred mile round trip you're talking about. It takes time to be a peacemaker. When somebody, you see somebody that the Lord shows you where he's asking you to be involved, it's not five minutes. It's, far, it's, it's a time to listen to them carefully, but then to journey with them and bring the two parties back together again. It takes time. And we need to be prepared to give that kind of time to people to bring that reconciliation or help them in that process. It takes effort as well. Think of the effort that Abraham put in. Think about what he gave up. Think about how much it cost him. It costs yourself too. You have to give of yourself if you're going to be a peacemaker. One of the hardest things that I had to challenge, or the challenges I faced when Jesus said to me, I want you to become a minister, was whether I'd be prepared to open myself up to the people that he's asking me to serve. I'm a shy guy. I was, when I was a little kid, I was the one that was always standing by the outside. I was never the one that was on the dance floor. I was the one that was quite happy sitting there in the seat around the outside. I was never in the middle of things. And Lord said, I want you to be a minister. And I went, you mean, like, I know if you're going to do that, I'm going to have to be prepared to show people who I really am. And that's hard. That costs that's, that's making yourself vulnerable and being a peacemaker. You end up being vulnerable to others when you do it. Because people will misunderstand you. 
People will misrepresent you. People will misquote you and in a sense abuse what you're trying to do and take it out of context and everything else. Think about Jesus, the greatest peacemaker of them all. Think about the people, what people said about him. Think about how they mistreated him, how they misquoted him, how they, they looked at what he was doing and they just tried to put him in a box and get rid of him and do this, that and the other. If you become a peacemaker as Christ is calling you, Sometimes, that's what happens. It's costly. But it's what Christ has called us to do. There was a guy called Telemachus, who was a monk. He lived in the 4th century. He felt God one day saying to him, I want you to go to Rome. He lived in a nice little cloistered monastery somewhere or the other. But God kept saying to him, go to Rome, go to Rome. And so he put all his possessions in a sack and he set out for Rome. When he arrived in that city, the people were thronging in the streets. It was just chaos. And he asked what all the excitement was about. And he was told that the gladiators were going to be fighting and killing each other in the Colosseum that day. The day of the games. He thought to himself, four centuries after Christ... And here we are still killing each other for enjoyment. How can that be? And this guy ran to the Colosseum. He got in there and he heard everybody saying, Hail Caesar! We die for Caesar! And he just thought, this isn't right. And when he got inside the Colosseum, he jumped over the wall into the main arena. And he went out to where the two gladiators were standing. And he put his arms up between them. And he said, in the name of Christ, stop, forbear. And the people in the crowd just started whistling and jeering. And one of them shouted, run him through, run him through and get on with it. And one of the gladiators walloped him in the stomach with the back end of his sword and sent him sprawling across the sand. When he recovered, he got back up again. And he went back over and he stood between those two gladiators with his hands in the air. And he said, in the name of Christ, forbear, stop what you're doing. And the crowd continued to chant, run him through, run him through. And one of the gladiators came over and plunged his sword through the little monk's stomach. And he fell to the ground. And the ground started to turn crimson with blood. And one last time he heaved himself back up as far as he could. And he held out his hands. And he said, in the name of Christ, stop, forbear. And a hush came over the 80,000 people that were there in the Colosseum. And one by one they started to leave. That was the last known gladiatorial contest in the history of Rome. Because there was one man who was willing to be a peacemaker. A peacemaker for God in the midst of God's people. Christ has called you and me to be peacemakers. Wherever we see division, 
we are to be the ones that bring peace. It's costly. It's not easy. But it's what we are called to be. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the sons, the daughters of God. What does he mean? He means, if you become a peacemaker like that, you're doing what Christ did. Christ was born in peace. Isaiah said, all those years ago, there will be a Messiah who will be coming. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. When Jesus was born, it was announced with the words, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom his, his favour rests. When Jesus went and he healed people and he cast out demons, he said, go in peace and be healed. When he was on the waves and the storm was coming over the boat, he stood up and he said, peace, be still. And when he was preparing for his death in that upstairs room with his disciples, he said to them, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. The peace that Jesus asks us to bring is a peace within inner lives. A peace that restores relationships. Relationships with ourselves, with God, with one another, and with the whole of creation. Jesus was a man of peace. And he's asked you and me, his followers, to be peacemakers too. If you do that, you get the title of the son or the daughter of God. Because you're following in his footsteps. Blessed are the peacemakers. Have you been a son or a daughter of God recently? Let us pray. Lord, peacemaking is tough. But it's what you call us to be. You call us to be peace, people of peace in the midst of turmoil. And first of all, Lord, where there is turmoil in our lives, we repent, we turn to you. We ask that you will show us how we can bring peace into those situations. Because we need to be at peace with everyone. Everyone who will allow us. And at least peace from our side, if not from others. For how can we be peacemakers to others if we're not at peace with ourselves or with you or with one another or with your creation? So do that work within us first, Lord. And then may we be peacemakers to others around. Show us situations that you want us to get involved in. Show us people that we can help to bring that reconciliation, that forgiveness, that unity back together. 
Show us where we see an Abraham and a Lot, where there is a potential to be ripped apart. Because our enemy loves nothing further, than nothing better than to rip people to pieces, to tear families apart, to tear relationships apart, to break and to bring sin over and over again in those relationships and brokenness. You have called us to bring harmony. Help us to do that. Give us insight into those situations that we may understand the real root causes. Give us wisdom that can understand and will know and see a way that's given by you, a pathway where we can restore. And give us the grace to journey down that pathway and bring restitution and reconciliation. For Lord, we are your sons and your daughters. And you have asked each one of us to be peacemakers in our homes, in our families, in our places of work, in our communities, in this world. Help us as we strive to be the people you want us to be. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.